Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayalat trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Eight or seven is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Hi, I'm Raphael. And I'm Dove. And uh, we're here today with another episode. Uh, this time we're going to talk about uh, first experiences. Um, first time of. First time of. First time ever. Uh, and yeah, so let's let's get right into it. Uh, thinking back, like, what were some of your your uh, more memorable firsts? Well, if 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 I got to kick it off, so I, I'll go way before I was in EMS to the days when I was a little kid. When I was eight years old, nine years old, back in 1983, was my first ever witnessing a terror attack. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, growing up in Israel. I think you're, sh- you're showing your age. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a podcast. You can't see my white beard. But <laughs> <laughs> it's not all white. Just, uh, almost. You know. Oh, a lot, a lot of gray. A lot of gray. So back in 1983, I was a kid, nine years old, third grade. There was a... Uh, a, a bomb set in like an IED, a bomb on a, inside a suitcase on a bus in Jerusalem. And it had blown up not far from uh, where I live. And as kids, you know, we heard the explosion and everybody immediately we run towards, you know, uh, curious. <laughs> what happened? What, was what it? happened? Then we see this bus that, that, of course, was blown up and the roof it was next to school, I remember, was uh, the roof of the bus. The whole roof of the bus flew over uh, like into the high school next door and landed in the soccer field of the of the high school. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's my ever first. And, and, and since then, I mean, we'll be able to talk about hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands of terror attacks over the years. So, yeah, that's where it started all for me. How about so you? That was, that was your first experience with with EMS, like seeing the need, seeing the need, seeing the response. I always, well, well, that year was very influential on my life in in general. It was that, and it was also I witnessed a, a little girl from my school that was uh, get killed in an accident, a car Just accident, in a car accident. Wow, same exact year. So yeah, these, and you saw that you like yeah yeah. I was I was coming back from school one day. Sitting at the bus stop, and from behind the bus stop, I saw this little girl come running out from the little park mm-hmm. behind the bus stop, come running across the sidewalk into the street, and 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 boom! In front of my eyes, I see this girl get hit by a bus. Wow! And I'm just sitting there in shock. This girl's on the ground. People are screaming, yelling. Nobody knows what to do. We're talking about 1983, so there are no cell phones or anything. They're shouting to the buildings next door to call for an ambulance and this. No, she's bleeding out there. And I'm just staring in total shock. Oh, well, as an eight-year-old, um, yeah. That's, yeah, that's eight, nine-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At a certain point, I just got up and I ran away. I ran right. home. In retrospect of the next day when I came to school, the social workers and this and that. And I, I didn't even tell my parents that I saw this. Wow. Okay, and it turned out that this girl was... A first grader in my school, I was in third grade. She was in first grade and she was killed in this accident. And 
Well, between this and that terror attack of the 18 bus back in the same year, I, I really said, I, I, I got to do something with my life. Do you see a need? You feel a need? Yeah. So and- I decided I wanted to be a, to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Didn't contemplate that. How much you actually need to go to school to become a doctor? And school wasn't my my strong side. So and we went for EMS, second best. There you go. So you, you came into EMS with PTSD. You didn't, uh, you didn't yeah, develop yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of life. Um, wow. I was raised with PTSD. <laughs> okay. Um, so I get uh, my my first experience at the EMS. I guess I was in I was in fourth or fifth grade or something. Maybe a little bit younger, and it was I was back in Toronto, um, where I grew up. Toronto. I know we don't pronounce the second T. <laughs> it's a thing. Um, if you do pronounce the second T, you're not actually from there. Um, so that's a uh, that's the rule. How it's how we how we tell the locals from the non-locals. If you pronounce that second T, just you know, uh, pro tip there. Um, so we had a we had a local volunteer ambulance service that does mainly training. They don't actually provide ambulance services so much, but they do training. They do community service, and they're called St. John's Ambulance. Uh, and they came and uh, provided a training for our school about EMS, basic life support, uh, choking, CPR, etc. Um, and then um, that was uh, that was my first experience. I thought it was the coolest thing, and I was like, oh, I always want to ride an ambulance, and I was like. It's on my list of to-do things that, you know, I never thought I would ever actually do, but it was on the back of my head at one point. And uh, then later when I was uh, when I was a teenager, um, I remember it was like a summer camp or a field trip. I don't know exactly which one it was, but there was there was a drowning incident. Oh, no, it wasn't summer camp. It was a lake. Or was that a lake with with uh, with some friends? And there was a, dr- a person drowned. Uh, and I actually used the knowledge and performed CPR, except they didn't tell me that, you know, when you do CPR, we're still doing mouth to mouth then, that they actually throw up in your mouth um, when you're when you're giving the breath. You did mouth to mouth. We did mouth to mouth. It was still the protocol. It's back in the early 90s and we did, did mouth to mouth. Pinch the nose, cover the mouth, you know, Go, rescue man. breaths. There's Go nothing else going it. on there. And, and yeah, the person, you know, all the uh, liquids they expelled. Lunch and supper. <laughs> liquids they expelled from what they drowned in the lake water was Came right up in my mouth. That was it. Was very gross. Oh, we did not have my any. God, Raphael, <laughs> too much information, man. It's graphic. It's too, it's too graphic for EMS. Too graphic for an EMS podcast. I don't know. No, no. Um, so that was that was, I guess, my first experience. And then I was like, okay, maybe I don't want to do this. <laughs> and yeah, then afterwards, I was like, coming out of the army, I wanted to be uh, an EMT in the army, and they didn't let me. Um, and uh, eventually found my way here through uh, to United at Sala, but uh, started seven years ago. And another memor- memorable first for me was, I think, uh, something I, uh, I wrote a little bit about was uh, the first time going through a tunnel in an ambulance with hearing my own sirens reflected back from the walls of the tunnel. It's a certain, certain I guess... Feeling and energy, adrenaline that a that rush. gave me. Yeah, it gave me a rush <laughs> of like I'm going through that tunnel and like I always heard the the sirens from police cars or ambulances going through when you're in a different car. And it was the first time I heard my own sirens, and I was like, "Wow, I've made it! This is like I'm 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 you know doing the real thing." And that actually uh, that call I remember was um, was a gentleman who had uh, sliced off his arm 
with uh, we're getting really graphic really quick there today. Raphael, you're 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 really escalating the situation here today. But yeah, keep going, keep going. Um, as was, you were, he was he was cutting down a tree. He was a gardener for the city. He was a municipal worker. Uh, the gardener was cutting down a tree with a circular saw, and the blade slipped off the saw and sliced through his arm. And his arm was hanging by you know skin basically at that point. Um, the EMT arrived first. Went on one of the ambicycles, applied uh, a, a tourniquet to the upper part of the arm, and then was using um, pain pressure points, uh, not pain points, pressure points to try and stem the bleeding because it was close to the shoulder. So the tourniquet wasn't working so well. Uh, and we got him as quickly as we get to the hospital. And I, I remember going through that tunnel, just blood everywhere in the ambulance. It was, uh, it was definitely a real moment for me, uh, saying like going back to that kid in that first, uh, volunteer St. John's ambulance course back in Toronto. And I'm like, wow, I really did make it. Shit has become real. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, it certainly has. So that was, that was a, good mess, uh, a lot of the memorable firsts for me in that respect. Uh, you, you went to terror attacks straight up, but that's not, uh, you know, I think. Well, I started off, you know, okay, that was, that was just starting <laughs> everything off. But no, the, I, I think that really connecting to the first time is also my first shift uh, when I was 16 or no, 15. It's 15 mm-hmm. and I uh, had finished my, uh, whatever, my, I, I didn't actually do the training the first time when I got on my first shift because it was just like, I got on as a ride along with someone and uh, I was riding for a bunch of months before I actually did the initial training. And, and, and but, but getting on that ambulance for the first shift, getting the call, first call. I remember it was a diabetic patient. Um, I think it was hypoglycemia was the call. And, and, you know, lights, sirens. We're driving there on this old, you know, old rigs. These were like uh, the um, the Chevy Venduras that, that, that basically had a had a kit in the back, and and and, and that was it. <laughs> no bed, like what? <laughs> no, there was there was a stretcher. There was one of these, you know, Ferno old school Ferno gurneys that that were really what we were using. Um, but but getting there, the excitement of of you know being able to actually help, um, as opposed to all of those times before that when I just stood there helpless, and suddenly they, you know moving to the other side, to the side of the ones who can actually help make a difference, and 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 it was simply, wow, and that was the beginning of the career. And that you did without training, you said. That was without training, yeah. <laughs> and then when you had training, you were actually yes, able to help more. Yes, and and that was the beginning of, of career where I'm s- stuck in till today. <laughs> many, many, many years later. All right. Um, so I was going to say, since you, you brought up terror attacks, I guess maybe I'll talk about the first terror attack that I went to. Now, I want to explain, Israel is not just all about terror attacks. <laughs> they, they do happen. Um uh, but it's not the run of the mill. It's not something that happens uh, all the time to all people everywhere. Um, so it's not a, a good way to sort of like, I guess, paint EMS. But when they do happen, obviously, we, we have to respond and be prepared for it. So we do train for those things as well. Um, so my first one was actually, it was more of a, of a stabbing wound uh, where the uh, person had been stabbed in the back, actually. Uh, turns out it was a person from my community. Uh, someone I knew pretty well. Um, uh, yeah, one of my neighbors. Uh, I go to the same synagogue. Uh, families are... We live down the street from one another. Um, and I got there just after... The first responders were at the scene were a little bit closer than where I was. I was a little further away. 
So I got there, and and he was already in the ambulance uh, being transported to the hospital. I ended up treating a lot of the people for... Uh, I was still back in the, in the psychotrauma course at that time. I started treating people for the psychological after effects, with psychological first aid, rather than the actual individual who was stabbed. Um, and there was a lot of trauma that was going on. People could just... The, they heard the gunshots from the people who neutralized the, the attacker, um, and that traumatized a lot of people. Neutralized is a great word for killed. They actually didn't kill him. He was alive. Uh, they didn't do a good job. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he, they, 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 you know, shot him in the legs, disabled him, and then uh, he was left for the police and security forces to deal with. Uh, and of course, there's an ambulance that took him to the hospital as well. Um, but the, the, the people around, because uh, it took place in a mall. Uh, so a lot of people around in the mall were basically were traumatized by the gunshots. Um, by the sound, by the whole incident, the way it went down, the fact that they knew the person uh, who was at the time injured and, and later passed away in the hospital, um, and it was it was something that became very as uh, moving for me, knowing that really seeing that uh, the the patient who suffered the physical injury wasn't the only patient there in the field, and there was a lot of people that needed uh, stabilization, what we call psychological stabilization, because they weren't able to function properly anymore. They literally were frozen in place. Like you were saying when you were a kid and you saw the little yeah, girl hit by yeah, the car. Exactly. They were frozen in place. They weren't able to do anything. They were just stopped and stared. And they had this like deadpan stare of like, what just happened? What did I witness? How did I deal with that? Um, and then I was able to bring a lot of them back to functionality to be able to continue functioning, moving on with uh, the rest of their day, their lives. Um, I even met with some people again afterwards later that night um, to continue treatment uh, and then pass them on to social services of, of the of the regional council that was that took place in um and that that was also kind of moving to to see just the you know the waves of effects that when, whenever we're dealing with a patient it's important to know that you know it's obviously not just one person who's being affected by this whether it's a person's family anyone who witnessed the incident there's going to be those extra waves and secondary circles of of trauma which take place um even if it's a medical you know incident and condition so actually, an interesting secondary wave that I that I got, even had last night uh, was I responded to a call. Uh, I was on my way back from a movie. Uh, saw Mission Impossible Seven and it was really fantastic. For those that are listening, I really enjoyed it. Not as good as Five and Six, in my opinion, but still wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, and on the way back, I got a call. I had this I had this feeling. Right? Do you ever get those feelings where like I know a call is going to happen in this neighborhood now? I'm going to drive yeah. by that oh, neighborhood. Yeah. No, those all too well. <laughs> So I had this feeling that on the way out of Jerusalem in the southern neighborhood of Gilo, there's going to be a call. And so I turned off the highway to go drive through the neighborhood. And not not even a minute after I turned off the highway, we got a call in Gilo. So I went to the call. I was first responded there at the scene. And the patient uh, was complaining of, of mild chest pains. And more accurately, the patient's wife was complaining of mild chest pains for the patient. Uh, the patient was having mild chest pains. The patient was like, I'm fine. I'm not doing that. Everything's okay. I don't know why you're here. And the wife is giving me like all the oral history of what this patient's gone through. And obviously oncology patient as well. Um, said he'd been suffering with chest pains for two hours. Uh, you know, Levine sign was negative. Vitals were okay. The guy was normal skin, no sweating, nothing. Everything seemed relatively okay. He's like, yeah, I feel like I ate something and it's not sitting well. And I was like, okay. And then I realized he should be going to the hospital for a different reason. And the fact that he's an oncology patient and his wife's like, yeah, and he has a fever. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that's a so oncology patient fever protocol to hospital within thirty minutes and go. Um, and he refused. He absolutely refused to go to the hospital. The ambulance came. The paramedic was there. He's like, 
they did an EKG. The guy's heart was okay, but they're like, you really should go to hospital anyways. This is protocol. He's like, no, I'm not going to the hospital. I spent too much time in the hospital. I'm not going. Blah, blah. Anyways, refused treatment in the end. The wife was completely traumatized. Like, I can't deal with this. I can't hear it. And she, was, she went into a loop of just not being able to process the fact that you know, her husband's there and not going to the hospital, even though the protocol says he should, uh, for a different reason than what she thought. But um, And it was really, really traumatic for her. And I sat down and talked with her. I said, listen, you know, we can't force him. He's of sound mind and body. He has to make the decision on his own. And eventually he did not go. And the ambulance said, look, if you know if you need us, call us again. We know you know our number, we're here, we'll come back, et cetera. But it was 20, 30 minutes. We were trying to like convince him that it is the right thing to do, and and he refused. At the end of the day, person's got his own, you know, wishes and wills, and he decides for himself what's what's best yeah. for him. Absolutely. But there is really... again that that family member who was very, very worried. Um, was also needed to to be you know helped through the situation uh, as the time went on. Um, so yeah, so the, the, sort of the, the I guess the secondary waves continued from that moment, and it, and it really always sits on my mind back is like looking around and seeing who else needs help here other than the individual patient as well. Obviously, they need treatment, and you know top priority is stemming the bleed, ABCs, doing all the protocols, making sure they're okay and stable. But once they are. Take a look around and see maybe someone else around needs help as well. Um, eyewitnesses, family members, et cetera. How can we help them as well? They're, they're going to be so, – so we can avoid them turning into patients at a later date. For sure. For sure. So, so what are some other firsts that we uh, Oh, let's we talk about first MCI, maybe. First oh, wow. Okay. First we already talked about my first MCI. No, so we can talk about not only but first <laughs> MCI but, but scene commander, incident commander. Oh, okay. I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it some time. You give know? it some time. So my first scene commander incident command on an MCI goes back to 1997. 1997, this was, um, I think it was the end of July. It was the summer. I remember it was summer, and it was a double suicide bomber attack in the famous, the world-famous Jerusalem Machne Yehuda Market, which yeah. is a, really a, 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 a world-famous market. It's an open open shopping center. It's an open and closed Yeah, they have market. a closed section as well. And, um, and, and they call it a suk or a shuk. Yeah, exactly. And it's an old school uh, uh, shuk. Back then, it was more just really... You know, selling fruits, vegetables, produce, and whatever. But now is already now it's gentrified, totally gentrified. During the day, it's the market. <laughs> At night, you've got all the restaurants, bars, and everything yeah. going there. But back in 1997, this was a um, double suicide bomber. Um, and what happened was one was in the closed market, one was on the open market uh, simultaneously. Uh, um, exploded there uh killing if i wasn't mis if i'm not mistaken 16 people injuring about 200 and with my one, luck one of the bad ones yes one bad ones. definitely one of the bad ones and 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 my luck i was a first rig to show up on scene oh wow and uh protocol i had about a three minute prep time from the moment i heard the explosion i was on the ambulance coming back from a transport to the hospital at 1.15 in the afternoon. Um, and it's summer. And uh, I'm headed back to our dispatch station. And I hear the explosion. And I, I'm 
just wait for the call over the radio. I already started turning around, and then it comes over the radio, MCI, 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 uh, um, and, and the Mahniuda market. I, I make the U-turn already. I'm after the U-turn. I start, I floor it, and I start, I see I see the black cloud already from from short distance. I pull up, and and yeah, that was, that was incident command. You got about 10 seconds to figure out what you're going to do because this, this is just huge. And you're the first ambulance that shows up and, and they're pouring out victims to you. And of course, as incident commander, you're not treating anyone at this point. Yeah. And you're just, you know, basic triage, initial assessment. You're trying to refresh every single protocol in your head. And mind you, I've been an ambulance driver then for maybe two years. I mean, relatively, we're talking, how many years ago is this already? 97 is 26 years ago. Dang. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Okay, we're really getting old here. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, so, but but really, and and, and then the snowball effect uh, starts, and, and we, we managed to really take control of the incident there. Uh, unfortunately, it was in that era and time, there were a number of mass casualty incidents uh, terror-related that were occurring. So I did have some experience already in the field as a responder, but as an incident commander, it was really the first. Um, very traumatic. Um, we did feel like Rambo back then, I got to say. And we You always were, feel like Rambo yeah, for the first couple of years. That's, yeah, yeah. It's only that, 20 years later we pay the price. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the rookie effect still going on. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. Absolutely. So yeah, that was my first MCI, a lot of hard decisions to, to be made at the beginning. I, I think I, I think if, if I, if I got to recall one of the uh, one of the things that really stands out from that incident uh, was the fact, and, and you know, Rafael, you were getting grotesque before with your descriptions. So I think I'm going to take. I was getting real. It wasn't grotesque. Okay, so, so let me get let me get more real than arms anyone. What, what? <laughs> okay. No, no. Let's talk about summer in the market. What is the most leading in sales? fruit or vegetable during the summer watermelon exactly <laughs> and when watermelons blow up what happens things get sticky you've got <laughs> a market which is a huge blend of hundreds of blown up watermelons together with people that were blown up <laughs> and and it it was called it was really really difficult to triage there what's human and what's watermelon Wow. <laughs> now, 25, 26 years later, we can talk about this, but yeah. you can imagine what the scene looked like. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was my first MCI uh, incident command. And how did you do? How did you, how did you, uh, I actually stand I, up I, to I, the challenge I there? Fantastic. Uh, if I may say so myself today, you may. I was relieved <laughs> I wasn't there. from my position when my uh, senior commander showed up, of course. And that was the biggest sigh of relief of my life. But managing to hold up there for those 10 minutes um, really were, I think, uh, uh, one of the peak moments of my life uh, as far as intense moments and, and, and survived it very well in the debriefing afterwards and everything. And, and you know, looking at the incident uh, in the post postmortem of the incident, um, we did pretty well. And, and learned a lot from it. And after that, I just joined the teams there and, you know, was treating patients and saving lives, putting on tourniquets and, 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 and taking patients to the hospital. So it was really, really significant event for me. Ah, it's totally understandable. 
Um, in your trash, you did the whole divide of like who can walk, go to that side, bring everyone who Basically, can't walk over here. Stretcher, get an idea. There. Is get an idea to report back of what the scope of the incident is. Are we talking about ten people injured, and or, or twenty? And I, I, I had uh, an EMT with me on on the team, and I told him, listen, you do a quick run around to, to further inside because you can't get from the ambulance into the market. So, right. so, so you don't know what's going on. So you just see the people, people running out, people pouring out. So you understand this is not tens of people. This is possibly hundreds. And that was the most important thing is first of all, as far as resources yeah. for this event, this is not something small, get as many resources as we can over here. And, and then, you know, divide up the area with the next responders to do, uh, you know, area A, B, and C. Right. Just to get an, an evaluation of how many people we have lying on the ground and how many people who can walk. People who walk, call them out over loudspeaker, get them out to a different uh, staging area where they they can be triaged there and then transported to the hospital. And then, of course, um, any any medical personnel showing up on scene, just giving out all equipment and, and just putting on tourniquets, basically, because in these incidents... It's very unfortunate uh, at, the, at the first minutes of these incidents is that those who who would typically, if they were the one individual patient, they would be um, aggressively treated and, and trying to save their lives. In these situations, those people who aren't breathing on their own will not be treated. Right. Because uh, you can't. You have to. You can't. And, 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 you know, so primarily we're talking about tourniquets, opening airways, and, and that's basically it at this stage of the game. Right. And then you have a secondary response. You can start, once you have enough resources, you can start going and, and treating the rest and eventually uh, get to those. But you got to try and save those that you can actually have the best chance of saving. And that's exactly why they built those protocols. Those, now, those, those instances are never easy and of their own right. Um, and the, as you know well, uh, proper management can actually save a lot of lives, which would it otherwise does. be lost. It's very, very simple. It's very simple. It saves lives. If you, if you're, uh, um, if you follow this protocol, you know it's more or less start, but but you know follow it. It's simple. You're simply going to save lives because people bleeding out is something that we don't need to see in 2023 anymore in an urban setting. There is no reason in the world urban or even military for a person to bleed out from right. extremities. Yeah. Cause it's treatable and something it's like, you know, we're, we're a fast enough response organization that we get there quickly enough to be able to provide that intervention. Uh, and then, you know, you get the first responders out there and they do it and they, they divide up the area, divide up the patients by, uh, you know, colored tags as we do it here. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in levels of severity, and treat uh, the most urgent injuries that you can save as fast as you can. Yep. Uh, yep. So, wow, we talked a lot about a lot of firsts today, and we got pretty graphic. <laughs> well, it is an EMS. Uh, it is an EMS podcast. We should feel all right about it. It's not too bad. No, no. I hope you guys listening also feel all right about it. Uh, and If, if not, you, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> feel free to write in and say, this was too graphic, or... This wasn't graphic enough. More, please. Uh, whichever way you want to go with Feed it. Feed me Seymour. Oh, wow. <laughs> now you're going to the theater. Okay. Um, so I think that's all the time we have. But if uh, if you guys want to hear any more uh, first, there's 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 a lot of them. Or maybe you have uh, some first you want to share with us. Uh, feel free to write in the comments on the, on the website. And we'd love to hear back from you guys as well. Um, that's it. We're signing off for now. Stay safe out there.